0: Likutei is Chelik Yutes, Volume 19, the second Sikha for Parshas Kisovei. This is, on the one hand, a Rashi Sikha. In fact, it's uh, three small Rashis together, uh, all on the same pasuk, on the same verse. However, it's not your typical Rashi Sikha, because I believe the main point of the Sikha is to bring out the depth, or I should say the esoterics, of this particular Rashi. And this is based on what the Rebbe says, that it's been mentioned many times, and as the Alter Rebbe, Rabbi Schneer Zalman, the founder of the Chabad movement, who incidentally, his birthday typically falls out in the week of Parshas Kisovay, as it is on the 18th of Elul, this week, the Alter Rebbe said about the Pirush Rashi, about Rashi's commentary, that Rashi's commentary possesses Yena Shalterah, Quote, the wine of Torah. Now, remember, wine inherently is something that brings out secrets. On the surface, you don't see it. It looks like a regular typical liquid. You look at grapes, you don't really see the potential quality that's there. Only when you know how to extract it, you get the best uh, and most uh, uh, most um, qualitative wine possible. So likewise, in Rashi, there are many, many secrets that are hidden deep, deep in Rashi. So let's go into it. In our parsha, if you look at chapter 28, which happens to be a very long chapter, this is the toichacha. It begins with several blessings of uh, several verses of blessing, uh, promises which Hashem gives, shall we be consistent with following the precepts of the Torah, Hashem's commandments. However, then it goes over to the 98 curses, the toichacha, the reprove, the rebuke that Hashem will give us, God forbid, he says, if we do not follow the Torah, if we rebel, rebel against his commandments. And on the surface, obviously, the way it seems in the, the way it appears in the pshat, in the simple basic meaning of the verses, these are terrible and horrendous curses, terrible, terrible uh, predictions of, of, of tr- very tragic things that will come about on the Jewish people. However, we know, as the Alter Rebbe himself explains in Hasidus, in what we call the Hasidish Parasha in the Likute Torah, over there he explains at length how really deep down, meaning in the subliminal, these are really all very, very great blessings. In fact, they are such tremendous blessings that they have no way of ex- being expressed in the normal, normative, uh, typical way of expression. Meaning that they are so great and such so high in the level of blessings and good that they come, ab- uh, they come in the imagery. They come in a way that they're they're not able. They just there's no words. There's no real proper, so to speak, receptacle in which to express them in a normative manner, and therefore they appear as curses. And he brings for this a- actually a story from the Talmud. He, actually, he references to the story of the Talmud. And the story of the Talmud, in short, is the story about Rabbi Shiva Bayachai, the great, great, great Kabbalist, the author of the Zohar, who sent his son to some ra- visiting rabbis. Rabbis who visited the city told him, Do not miss out on this opportunity to receive blessings from them. And he comes back and he was all pale and he was all, you know, shaken up. And his father said, what happened? And he, says to the, he starts describing to him the, quote, curses that he received from them. And his father smiled. Rabbi Shimon ben Yechoy smiled and tells the son Rabbi he says, you don't understand. These are such great blessings that they have no way, there are no words, there are no typical means of expressing them in the norm. And therefore, they expressed it the way they did. It seems like blessings. To put it in practical, a practical metaphor, perhaps, perhaps these are my words, uh, think about the intensity of the light of the sun and how enormously bright it is. And think about when you look directly at the sun. It is such great light. It is so intense. It's so immense that you don't see any light. You see darkness. You can't see anything. It can, there's no way that we have the tools to really properly uh, process it to get for it to get expressed in the right normative manner. So likewise over here, Says the Rebbe, not only is this so in the Hasidic teachings, but since Rashi's teachings, Rashi's commentary is Yenoshol Torah, the wine, the quote wine, quote unquote, wine of Torah. Therefore, it, it 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 must be that not only is Rashi giving us the Pshat, giving us the basic meaning to understand what the verse is saying, but through really inspecting it on a deeper level, we will come to an appreciation in which Rashi hints. The great depth of blessing that really is here, contrary to what it seems, that it is a curse. So let's go to verse 68 in chapter 28. The verse is interesting. The verse, so so to speak, almost like wraps up, is about to wrap up all the curses. It's right there at the end. And it seems like it's giving like the last final smack, the last blow. And by the way, this makes sense logically that you seems to intensify, the curses, the severity of the harshness seems to intensify and become elevated more and more as the verses progress. Since this comes at the end, it follows logically that this too is kind of like even a greater curse or a more severe punishment than its um, preceding preceding verses. Preceding curses that that appeared. What does it say? It says, Hashem Hashem will have you return. Hashem will bring you back to Egypt in Onias. Onias said, like ships, galleys. In the way that he said to you, you shall no longer return. You shall never see it again. And there you will sell yourselves to your. You will attempt to sell yourselves to your enemies as servants, as slaves." And there will be no buyers. the ain't corner. So Rashi addresses these three things in the verse and he explains it. First of all, the heading that begins with the word oniot, which I said means like ships, boats, galleys. And he says, what does it mean? Rashi says two words. Besvinois, in ships, in captivity. The next Rashi says, Goes on the words, V'his makartem, uh, shom you'll, be, you'll sell yourself there to your, to your enemies. Says Rashi, quote, you will seek to have yourself sold to your enemies as servants and slaves. And then the third Rashi on this verse, on the words, V'ein konan, there'll be no buyers, in that heading, says Rashi, because there will be decreed upon you total doom and extermination, annihilation. Now, in order to really understand what Rashi is trying to bring out, in other words, because it doesn't, on the surface, it doesn't really seem that Rashi is giving us much great insight, or certainly not uh, necessary insight, so to speak, because it seems to be obvious and clear from the verse, and it doesn't really seem that Rashi is really adding a tremendous amount to the verse. However, based on what we said before, that it's logic and it's rational to understand that as the verses progress, the intensity of the curses progress. At this instance is coming at the end, this is a greater curse than had been previously mentioned. And therefore, Rashi is addressing the questions that could be asked. Number one, what is really so bad? What is so grave? So abundantly harsh in the fact that they'll return to Egypt in boats. Okay, they'll return to Egypt. It's not, is that really the end of the word, world? Considering all the previous blessings, which when you read through them, they're horrendous. They're hair-raising. Another question. What really is so bad, so significant about the fact, not just that they're going to go back to Egypt, but in the way that I told you that you will no longer go back in that way. You will no longer see that way. What is really so intensely hard, the harsh about that? Another question. If Rashi's whole point is that they're going to go back in onios, means ships, why does he add the word ships in captivity? I mean, it's obvious that this is in captivity. You're not going to be going on your free will. Why, what is Rashi really uh, telling us with that extra word that he throws in? He's not just translating. For whatever reason, he felt the need to translate onios. And he tells us that it means Sphinos, it means ships. But why does he add the word ships? In captivity. Why, what is that really enhancing? What is that really telling us? And in general, why would Rashi have to explain the word Onios? We do know what Onios means. Anybody who speaks Lashon Kodesh, anybody who speaks ancient Hebrew knows Onia means a ship. And therefore, we will come to the understanding by really analyzing these Rashis that Rashi is really trying to not just explain the words in the verse, but to show us how each point in this verse leads to a greater and more severe punishment, a more severe harshness in the curses that are already being spelled out all along. And this is how we'll go through it. uh, This is how we'll come to it, says the Rebbe. Let's look at the word onios, ships, that Rashi is telling us, it's not just that they're going to be taking back in captivity to Egypt. But it's the method in which they will be going. Whereas she's trying to point out it's not just anios, which could mean in sadness if one doesn't understand the context or one translated translates it slightly out of context. It can come from the word aniya, which means sadness, in calamity. Where she says no. This is telling us something very specific. Not only will they be in captivity, but the method, the manner in which they will be transported will be so harsh, adding to the pain of captivity. How is that? So the Reb explains that it's obvious that when you're being led by foot, you're being led on dry land, there's somewhat more freedom of movement and, and, and the, the, the security, the oppression, the imposing watch of the guards is not as dominating, is not as, so to speak, stifling as it is when you're confined to a small, smaller space, where you're confined to space. There's nowhere to go. There's nowhere to run. There's no scenery. Nothing changes. You're out there, stuck, suffering, with a constant watch, literally breathing over you there on the ships. So that adds to the severity of the of the captivity. Now the next point that he says, in the way that I told you not to go, not to come, not, not to go in that way, right? Remember Hashem says that it's going, not only being taken to Egypt, where well, you're going to go in that same way that I told you not to go. Think about it. What is that way? How does the Torah always describe the way that the Jews traveled when they traveled from Egypt to Israel as free people? Well, the Torah describes it as a place which is a scary desert, a place which is barren. There is no whatsoever uh, supplies and no whatsoever accommodations for normal civilization. In fact, it's full of snakes and scorpions and all kinds of dangerous elements and thirst. There's no water. But interesting, that road was once taken by the Jews. But when you took that road, you took it with tremendous miracles. You enjoyed the grace of Hashem. And now you're coming back on that very same road, which is such a dangerous terrain, which is such a detrimental place for any human being to be in. And you're coming now as captives, taking that same road in reverse. That is even more severe. That is a more um, greater detriment than just being taken in captivity to Egypt. You're going back, reversing that very same thing. And the contrast to what you've experienced last time you've been on this road makes it even more severe. The next point, and you will try to sell yourself there to slaves. Again, this is not just saying that you're going to be captives. That This is saying you, yourself, are going to beg, are going to yearn, are going to do whatever you can to try to get out of the clutches of your captors. That's how severe it will be. That you'll even beg to be sold as slaves. You will try to convince them to give you that allowance to sell yourself as slaves. Imagine how bad it is that if you're in the hand of captors already, You're already in captivity and you want to, you elect, you will opt to go into a greater captivity or a different type of captivity as slaves, as maidservants, just to get out of the clutches. Imagine how severe that is. Imagine how terrible the oppression will be. And to who? That's the next step. To your enemies. In other words, you'll be ready to sell yourself even to your enemies. Not just to sell yourself to a neutral party with maybe perhaps some kind of uh, subconscious hope that they will be kind to you. Even knowingly going from the pan to the fire, that it's so difficult to be in this captivity that you will be in, being brought back to Egypt, that you will opt to go to the, and, and become sold and become possessions of your enemies. That's how severe it will be. And now even worse, And this is what Rashi adds in the final Rashi, that no one's going to want to buy you because it's going to be decreed upon you absolute destruction and annihilation. So this is in the Pshat. This is in the Pshat phase of Rashi. This is literally what Rashi is trying to bring out, progressing step by step by step, showing us how from the beginning of the verse to the end of the verse, it progresses, it increases in the intensity of the severe punishment that's here. Now we're going to go into the esoterics, the yeinoshotera, the wine, so to speak, the flavor here that's in Rashi, This, the secrets of the Torah that are hidden here in Rashi. Of course, as we understand in general, this is, by the way, even without Hasidus, without what I mentioned in the beginning from the Alter Rebbe, that the in general point of the toichachah, the whole idea of Hashem telling us, listen, this is going to happen, and this is going to happen, and that's going to happen, is not to tell us how He's going to, quote, get back at us, and how He's going to punish us, how He's going to, you know, have us, you know, pay the price, so to speak, for the bad that we do. But rather, as He keeps on saying all the time, that through this, this will awaken us to do tshuva. In other words, even from the pshat, let alone from the soyd, from the secretive part of the Torah, from the deeper esoteric meaning of the Torah, it's clear and obvious that the whole objective here is to bring them to do tshuva, to bring them to get closer to Hashem, not, God forbid, further from Hashem. And, it's, and it, the point is that through tshuva, you actually become better, you become greater. As we know, the famous statement of the Chazal of the Sages, that when a person does a high level of tshuva, a great, intense tshuva. Even the most felonious acts, the most, the greatest transgressions, become countered as the greatest merits because they transform. And the idea behind it is that when you come, you fall so low, you, and then you return, you're able to bring up with you the greatest, holiest sparks of holiness. As Chizkis explains, that have fallen so low. The fact that they fell so low is an indicator that they came from so high because we know the rule that's constantly repeated in Kabbalah that the higher something is, the, the lower it falls. So if you're in such a low place that you committed sins and now you're coming back to tshuva, now you're coming back to Hashem, you're able to elevate with you and bring from the clutches of klipa and impurity, you're able to bring up then elevate the sparks of holiness. This is in general the whole point of what this teukah what this reproof what this, you know, uh, uh prophecy of curses and 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 punishment is all about is about bringing them to do tshuva. However, this only explains, so to speak, the benefit that will come about to the quote sparks of holiness of holiness, meaning to the objects that have fallen that we need to elevate. What's about me? What's about the person? Does the person himself, so to speak, benefit from this process by having been low and now being pushed and being triggered to do tshuva and to become elevated and get closer to Hashem? This is, says the Rebbe, is what Rashi is focusing on. In the Yeinah Shel Torah, in the quote, the wine of Torah of Rashi, this is what Rashi is really focused on, on how the person, the Jew, by becoming elevated through this tshuva, not only does he elevate the sparks of holiness, but he himself transforms, he himself, quote, gains, he becomes elevated tremendously through this process. And this is where he explains, when Rashi says, quote, on the words you will be sold. You will tr- you'll sell yourself as slaves. And what does Rashi add, which seems to be really superfluous? Rashi says you will seek to sell yourself as slaves. I mean, come on, that's really what it means in the verse. That's what it seems to mean. What is it? What is Rashi adding? Rashi says that by this transformation, by this tshuva that we will do, coming closer to Hashem, we will now seek to become. We will seek as I'll explain in a moment, to become servants of Hashem. What does that mean? You see, there are two modes in which we serve Hashem. We could serve Hashem. We know, by the way, soon we're coming to Rosh Hashanah, we're going to say, If we're like children to Hashem, if we're like servants to Hashem. Think about it. When someone is in the mode of Ben, a child, a son to Hashem, that is a tremendous level. Okay, there's a natural connection that we have, like a son has with, a, with a, like a child has with a parent. It's biological, it's natural. But that also has a certain shortcoming to it. Think about it. It's not coming from the person, rather, it's just natural that the person should want to get close to Hashem. because it's just that that's who you are. But when you seek, that's what Rashi's adding here. When you are seeking to be a servant of Hashem. And what is a servant? A servant really is not biologically connected to the master. A servant does not have the excitement in helping the master and doing for the master. He doesn't gain anything for it. It's not his father. It's not him. It's not who he is. And yet you seek to do it for Hashem. That's a much higher level of service of Hashem. That's a greater service of Hashem than just being serving Hashem on the level of, so to speak, Child. And then Rashi says, in the next one, you and you reach the level. The next Rashi, V Kona, and there's no one to buy you. And Rashi tells us why. Because they're going it's gonna be decreed upon you, it's gonna be incumbent, uh, uh, decreed upon you, Herag Vikiloyan, that you so to speak, death and doom and total annihilation in a deeper sense. Hereg, which means to kill. To kill away means to have something dead. It no longer is vibrant and no longer longer is active. This means that when we reach, reach such a high level of service of Hashem, that we seek to be close to Hashem, we now get that benefit. We now get that blessing that all material desires, all temptations, all indulgences that typically impair us in our connection to Hashem, they become killed, they become done away with. And we reach kiloyon. Kiloyon literally means annihilation, destruction, but it also comes from the root word which means yearning. We develop such a great deep sense of yearning to Hashem, which is beyond any typical yearning that a person has to Hashem. And this brings us to the next point. That it's obvious that these curses are not just, it's not just the curses, it's not just so to speak the infliction of these things that bring us closer to Hashem. But if we really think about it, the entire process of a person even doing sins in the first place, a person slipping into a place where they really shouldn't be, also comes from Hashem. And that's what's going to be hinted in another Rashi that the Rebbe is going to point out in a a moment. Meaning that the whole idea that the person fell into this in the first place, of course, we're culpable for our actions. But who pushed us here? Who put us in in this predicament? Who guided us and who really kind of like pushed us into this corner? It's Hashem. Why would He do it? Why would He want to trip us up? the answer is because there is a process here that even when a person sins the sin itself is to bring the person later to the tshuva and through that to a much higher place than they would have ever been had they not fallen into that tight spot had they not been in that place bad place first and this rashi hits with the words when he says banias that how does he translate it he says in the ships in captivity Beshivya. Why did he add that word? We asked that question. Rashi is hinting that the reason why you are in these phenos, the reason why you are in these boats in this in this peculiar situation, in this predicament, is for the Shivya purpose. The Shivya being the word Shuva, the re- ultimate return. You're not here in this predicament. You're not here high in the high seas, in the middle of a storm, just for the sake of being there. You're in these, in this storm, in this predicament. In order for you to later come to that greater point of shivya of return to Hashem, and now we can better appreciate what Rashi, why Rashi felt the need, according to this Yehuda to translate the word Onias. If you remember, we asked the question: Everybody who speaks ancient Hebrew knows Onias means ships. Why did Rashi have to say Svinos? Because if you look closely, if you analyze it, Onias is in Lush and Kodesh is in ancient Hebrew. The word Sphinos is in Targum in Aramaic. What does that represent? Anios represents, since it's from Losh and Kodesh, it represents more the spiritual realm, the higher realm. Meaning, what is a boat? What is a ship, by definition? It's something to protect you against the dangers of the water. So there's that spiritual protection. That comes from above. That is represented in the word Onios. What Rashi is indicating. Or Rashi is hinting. Is that this is brought down. And manifests itself into the idea of sphinos. Into the Aramaic so to speak. Aramaic is already a low world. It's not a holy language like Hebrew. Into the actions that we do here. The Torah and that we do here. In this material physical world. That is the ultimate uh, so to speak the ultimate protection the ultimate um, um, uh, means through which we reach hashem in the ultimate manner so this was just a, an attempt i have to say this this really should be learned inside should be studied in detail but this is just a summary an attempt to really put together you know the main points of this sikhah.